Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast where we look at all of the things that affect therapists, their personal lives, the way that we practice, the way that we go about learning. And one of the discussions that we've been hearing, and this comes even from some of the students that I teach, is learning how to be a therapist in a COVID worlds, where so much of our education has moved online. A lot of therapists and, and students who have signed up to be in-person therapists had their programs moved online, and just the transition into this kind of a learning environment has not panned out in the way that they had hoped. And I have been teaching at a couple of universities. I have some experience with this as an educator, good, bad, and otherwise. I will fully talk about some of my experience from the teaching end here, but also knowing how we approach learning in an online continuing education way. This is not just about students, but also how we go about learning as therapists even after the fact. And we're going to be online for quite a while. COVID's not going anywhere. And at least at the time of this recording, COVID seems to be going up, not down. So yeah. this is some just kind of description of the background of where things have been and some suggestions for things that work. So I know from my end on this, Katie, that I'm hearing from students, I'm hearing from other educators, I'm hearing from supervisors of students are complaining this isn't what they signed up for. And educators and supervisors are like, it's not what we signed up for either. Yeah, I, I'm hearing some of that too. I, I hear less because I'm not a professor and I'm not as engaged, but I have some clients who have signed up for master's programs and, and doctoral programs. And that's one of the biggest complaints is that the education that you applied to, the education that you signed up for is vastly different than what you're getting right now. And to give a little perspective on my background, I have my therapist master's degree from an in-person brick and mortar program. I have another master's degree that I did in an online asynchronous program that is not particularly relevant with the content of that was, but <laughs> because this isn't about the content of what's being taught, this is more about the approach of it. So I have been a student both in person and in an asynchronous online program. 
And when COVID hit in the spring semester, going into the summer semester, a lot of faculty members and a lot of students and our field at large had to scramble into this online sort of program. Sure. And I, I largely describe the education at that point as being, well, it's what we've got. And <laughs> there, there wasn't a, a lot of, there wasn't a lot of prep for being able to go into it with the intentionality of teaching online. And a lot of professors tried to replicate what was in the classroom, the same kind of teaching styles. And I'll admit that I did this in some of my lectures too, where it's, hey, normally I'd be doing this two and a half hour lecture. I'm going to do the same two and a half hour lecture on Zoom. And it bored a lot of students. Ears. <laughs> sounds awful. It sounds so bad. It's so bad all around. <laughs> and given the responsibilities at the time of faculty, of students, there just wasn't really a whole lot of intentionality in being able to approach education in a different way on the fly. Some people did it better than others. But sure. now that we are in the fall semester of 2020, where a lot of faculty have had the opportunity to at least plan for being what I'm going to classify as not bad. <laughs> <laughs> we also have had the opportunity for some faculty to be good educators and have transitioned to this synchronous learning online. So you know, for those of you don't know asynchronous is not at the same time you know watch a video post a blog on your own time synchronous is you have to be here on time for this zoom class and have yeah. to be present for it but there's a lot about our field that is about being in person and especially for those people who were applying for grad schools over a year ago that thought that they were going to get that in-person experience not getting it now. And there's a sense of frustration, especially because on, on the faculty end of things, there's a number of pieces that we have to know the technology. We have to know yeah. how to utilize Zoom in a way, you know, being able to use breakout rooms, being able to use the whiteboard function within a class, <laughs> not the, the whiteboard function of Zoom, not having a literal whiteboard behind yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Because things like, you know, your your webcam that just comes with your laptop doesn't necessarily have a focal point that's going to focus on a whiteboard. So if you're trying to draw things out on a whiteboard behind you, your students aren't getting what they would get if you were yeah. in the same room. Yeah. So there's a lot of just functional pieces that we don't necessarily train people how to be educators unless they go into a counseling education type program. And while we have a, a lot of faculty meetings that are, you know, just kind of sharing tips, these are not replacements for counselor education. And I don't know if this is unique to our field. Of, I don't think it is. It's just kind of like, well, you've got some advanced degrees and you don't seem too crazy. So go and share your knowledge with students. <laughs> Good luck in figuring out how. That, yeah. But what this does from students' end is, you know, so much of what I remember from grad school is the interactions in class, the debates that would happen, you know, positively, the the naturalness of being in the environment that created more support is missing now because a lot of therapists are really polite, good students. 
that keep their microphones <laughs> off and they wait until they're called on that, you know, they might raise their hand on the zoom call or they mm -hmm. might, you know, use the raise hand function within zoom, but it ends up becoming this kind of spoken wheel discussion where every question ends up getting run through the professor rather than being able to discuss and interact with each other in a way that adds to the education. I see that. And I, I recognize that we actually grappled with some of these questions when we switched to an online conference. I think there's there's a lot that you lose when you don't have that in-person feeling, the, the capability to turn to the person next to you easily and effectively to be able to respond to what's happening, whether directed or as just a, a side question that you're not necessarily supposed to be talking at the same time. But I think it's it's something where as we get stronger with platforms like Zoom, as we start understanding these things better, I feel like there's a, a mechanism to create high quality online education. But what I'm hearing is that that's slow to develop because we're asking, or not you and I, but like our profession is asking Theoretically, people who are strong clinicians or strong psychologists or have some sort of appropriate background who typically just teach in front of a class or, or speak in front of a class, like we're, we're asking them to actually become innovative in a space that even educators, I think, are, are struggling to navigate. And I look at our fields did more in the telehealth aspect of our profession sure. in five weeks in March and April of 2020 <laughs> than we have done in the 15 years before that where I've been in the profession. Yeah. And this this is a space where there's a lot of room to grow. And mm -hmm. it, you know, I, I see this as a, an educator. I see this as a parent with my own kids doing their own yeah. you know, Zoom classes of ways of keeping people engaged and trying to replicate certain aspects of this because you know, as, as much as I advocate for, for students and trainees and associates, there's also kind of this parallel process going on with the educators of, we don't have a lot of guidance in this that has had the time to unfold. And the educators are trying to make these adjustments too. And some are going to be more nimble and better at that. That, you know, one of the things that I see is the most effective aspect of online teaching is I ask that my students, when we have breaks in the middle of class, to get as far away from screens as they can, like go outside <laughs> and just like have some opportunities to be away from being on screens all day. So that way you have the energy to come back and, and re-engage with, with the lecture or the activities that we're doing. But it's being nimble enough with the material to give students the opportunity for as much of a hands-on experience as they can that where yeah. we would be doing some of the role play stuff in classes you know think of learning therapy techniques all right everybody go out to groups of two or three and you know practice these things on each other in the room that yeah we have breakout functions in our zoom classes to do this and people are learning how to do telehealth really well right now in this program, but that's yeah, not what they would imagine that they were signing up for. Yeah, they're 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 learning what they're going to need to use in the next year or so. But <laughs> if they want to actually have an in person office at some point, like it feels like they're they're missing pieces that are 
really different. I mean, I, I think it's great because they're actually learning telehealth. I mean, I feel like we're still early on in that process and, and role plays with, with fellow students have problematic features to them anyway, but like doing them online in a, in a small zoom breakout room and stuff like that, like, okay, that actually replicates what they're going to be doing. But the difference between an in-person interaction and a telehealth interaction, like I couldn't imagine never being trained to do an in-person session, like through my whole grad program, like that would just be very strange to me to then have to go and sit in an actual physical room with another person. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. And this is where a lot of the research around the effectiveness of telehealth is just really starting to be robust enough. You know, there's, there's been studies out there for a while, but we don't know the effectiveness that this really has yet on therapists uh, of mm. being taught in this way. So some of the suggestions that we have are, you know, really utilizing some of these breakout features to keep people engaged because, you know, worst case scenario is if a student's having to sit through webinar after webinar for a couple of years to get their degree, we're not teaching them how to interact. We're mm. not teaching them how to engage with the material. We're just throwing it at them, which you and I have talked numerous times before on yeah. the podcast here about that is like the worst way to learn things. Yeah. Yeah. I think the challenge that I see, and this is something that I, I've been seeking out. And I think that, I think that there are people that are putting these out there. I think I saw a course on simple practice learning, but like, Clinical efficacy on telehealth is something that I think all therapists should be learning right now because there's a lot of therapists, if they're not doing it 100% like you and I are, they may be doing it at least a portion. Like there's, there are, whether there are therapists who, I don't know that there are therapists that are only doing in-person at this point. So all of us should understand the the clinical efficacy of telehealth and and should be able to actually not just recreate the in-person experience, but actually create a robust experience in and of itself that potentially recreates some of those elements. But also there's like the whiteboard feature and like these different things that, that create a different, that create different opportunities. And so even in, at this point, training in telehealth, I, I'm having a hard time finding clinical trainings on telehealth rather than just the technology and the laws and ethics around telehealth. 
Mm-hmm. And so to me, if, if the whole educational system is having to shift to train in something, and granted there's, you know, like all of the other pieces of clinical training, like theoretical orientation, okay, that's not necessarily impacted by doing it via Zoom. Like I think there's, you know, or, or inordinately impacted by doing it by, via Zoom. I think that there is an element of this where if I were a student right now, I'd really wonder if I'm getting the quality of training that I need to actually succeed in the field. Because if we don't know that this online training is or education is as effective as in person, if we aren't sure on the primary mode of therapy, although it seems that telehealth has great efficacy and and I'm doing it and I feel like it's efficacious for my clients. But if it's something where we don't have a, a strong sense that what we're doing is working, we don't have the the data uh, to, to, to prove that and we don't have data on the education system. I may have said that twice, but anyway, if we don't have, if there's this, this much uncertainty and our educators are not necessarily doing that great of a job because they're learning as they go. And it seems like that's getting better, which is good. I don't know if it would be worth it to do it right now. Am I, am I wrong? Am I, am I too pessimistic? It takes knowing how people learn Mm -hmm. in order to create effective online course content like this. And I say this because I'd written a blog several months ago about online therapy being here to stay. And yeah. one of the one of the pieces that you know, I can't fit this into a syllabus, I can't operationalize this piece, but it's students' abilities to opt out of conversations that they don't necessarily have in a classroom where a professor can really see who's not engaging and pull pull them into a conversation. And this is especially around really difficult topics, differences in opinions about you know, social issues, social justice issues. Uh, exploring cultural identity and racial identity. And so without looking at those pieces, it gives people the opportunity to opt out of uncomfortable conversations. And this is whether yeah. it's students or whether it's it's in a continuing education sort of way. But part of what's missing in what you're talking about and why delaying you know continuing education right now or continuing your grad program right now might be a good idea is that even if you are fully participating your peers might not be yeah and if they're not are you getting kind of the same education and the same exposure to diversity that you would in a brick and mortar program that nobody is selling on like you know our students engage really well in classes is (laughs) but it is one of those really unspoken pieces of having a really good education i mean i know i make mistakes all of the time in having you know comments in, in you know continuing education where i'm i'm students uh even where i'm faculty of being having other people with different viewpoints being brought up. And that is one of the things that helps make me a lifelong learner is that I, I love when this stuff is pointed out to me because, you know, I know a lot, but I don't know everything. And having 
some people who would normally not have the opportunity to opt out of a conversation have that option to not engage with the material in that way makes the education less robust. And that does have very predictable effects on the way that anybody in these learning environments is going to take the material that they learn and be able to apply it to clients. So if we're saying potentially that people should delay or pause or whatever, obviously that is institution by institution and and it may not be an option for folks. Right. It also potentially negatively impacts the development of the appropriate workforce for what we'll be, I'm sure, talking about at some point in the next few weeks or months is the the huge mental health pandemic that is going or has started and will continue to to ramp up. And so to me, maybe it's making a conscious decision about whether or not you continue or pursue your therapist education right now. But I think there's also opportunities within, you know, of course, I'm totally shifting positions now, but there's opportunities in online education and I think we found some of them. And, and I've, I've interacted with folks who've also found some. I mean, my, my assumption is that in a classroom, you break out into a couple of people and you're, it's your friend that's sitting right next to you and you kind of talk about whatever you want to talk about, whereas you get thrown into a random Zoom breakout room with another student, you know, as long as the the awkwardness is navigated by the professor, it seems like that might be more likely to increase engagement among different classmates. And so there's there's a possibility that done well, there is the, the additional engagement that can happen with folks who are not necessarily as likely to interact in person and raise their hand and do those things. But on a virtual setting, they may feel enough more protected in their home space that they may interact. I mean, that was some of the feedback we got from our attendees was that where people were more likely to interact in the chat or, or to do things than they would have in person. And they met more people than they would have in person because there was this opportunity for this electronic engagement. I think it's very different in a three-day event versus a full grad program. But I think there are possibilities to actually use online platforms to improve education. I feel, I think the reason why I said like, maybe this isn't the time is because I feel doubtful that the infrastructure is there at every school and certainly at schools that are either underfunded or less concerned about the quality of education. They won't do it. But I think that, I think there is possibility there. Well, and I think adding to that, also the schools that are less centralized in their teaching that mm -hmm. when there's a, a really good team of faculty that know what each other's teaching, but ultimately what you're describing is having an intentionality of deliberate practices within teaching and deliberate yeah. practices being a part of the education. And, you know, all of my fandom for deliberate practice and getting <laughs> feedback, but this takes that step of being really direct with students in all kinds of formats of here's the steps that you need to do. It's not just trusting that they're going to take this information and be able to go and apply it, yeah. which is 
you know, where I hear from students all over the place of like, you know, what am I really supposed to know out of my theories class, whether it's online or not? Like, you know, am yeah, I supposed to, yeah. at the end of the semester, be able to go out and just do these theories? Am I supposed to be able to <laughs> practice them? And, yeah. and this is where the practice makes better. And that is something that I think that we're really missing in the way that we're approaching online education right now is we're not creating those opportunities to practice and get the feedback from the the faculty about here's how to improve in this and it's something that we're not conceiving well enough of how do we get people to practice with each other when they are physically isolated from each other yeah. and this is those steps that need to be done in those breakout groups is let's take this from just kind of this theoretical knowledge base and put it into a practical knowledge base it could mean more work for professors, right? Like instead of having a class where you go and you can have some of that interaction and that connection happen almost organically in a, in a physical space, it's designing the virtual spaces where some of these things can happen. Whether it's how do you make sure that members of a cohort are actually engaging in some sort of connected experience? How do you make sure that if they're doing some sort of a role play or practical application that they are doing it correctly, that there's sufficient, you know, kind of feedback on those experiences. But as I'm saying it, like, you should be this deliberate in person too. So maybe this is just, you have to be more direct when you're online because you don't have those kind of passing in the hallway conversations and mm -hmm. connection, like you have yep. to kind of create those spaces deliberately. But I'm even thinking like how much easier would it have been? I don't know what you had to do, but I had to like buy like a video camera cause you know, it was before phones <laughs> that could record things. I had to buy a video camera and like tapes and stuff. I can just record a zoom call. <laughs> And that's my role play and my professor can watch the, the thing remotely. And like, so I think that there is some, some benefit and, and may, there may be some shortcuts that, that are helpful, but it, it is the thoughtfulness and it is being direct and actually obvious in what you're teaching and why you're teaching it versus more indirect, trying to build insight and momentum with students who can opt out. Right. And this is where, as educators, it's really easy to teach the same material year after year. Sure. You know, I, I can say that, you know, the first year of having developed a, a syllabus for a class, it's a lot of prep work to know yeah. I'm going to have 15 weeks of content that fits around a subject and activities that deal with this and be able to foresee out how this is going to play out and the second year is tweaking it but third year on there's not a lot of theories or techniques that really change year after year and so it's really easy to fall into i don't need to update much yeah and we're in a transition year of this isn't working to do it the same way and yeah. it takes going back to that level of thoughtfulness of teaching a program for the first time that is really, really different now. And 
those educators who are doing it well do it with this thought in mind of people aren't learning in the same way that they were before. Yeah. And they're also making adjustments because these people also have lives outside of their classes. They're dealing with their own mental health issues. They're dealing with their own responses to the pandemic and to social justice issues and elections and all of this kind of stuff that's in the news. As well as different responsibilities in the home, right? right. And different capabilities with, you know, differing childcare stuff. And, and there's, there's so many things that are impacting people right now. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And it's being acknowledging of that, but also helping the students understand that that's a parallel process that they're going to face throughout their career because we're always going to be reacting to stuff in the news and we're always going sure. to be having transitions within our responsibilities at home and at work and all of this kind of stuff. It's creating the right level of support. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be completely like, oh, this student's got these extra parenting duties while this student is, you know, fully supported by their parents and their only responsibility is being a student. Yeah. So it's creating the right balance of expectations for students too in, in this time that is another conception of how education and supervision and all of that needs to be taken into account too. So we've talked a bit about kind of how educators may want to approach these things, how, you know, kind of professors, people who are, are, leading these classes, how they may want to be more deliberate in what they're doing. You mentioned a little bit about the decision-making for students, but I think that there are, there are students who this is like they need to get through the last semester or, you know, they've, they've started, they're committed, they can't delay. And I think that there is potentially some, some guidance that we can share with them about how to, to make the most of things during this time. But I do want to I do want to just kind of mention one other benefit I was thinking about before we step into that, which is if there is synchronous and asynchronous learning right now, that does actually open the possibilities for folks who have differing responsibilities and those types of things. There also is, I mean, I know that I went and I've I've spoken about how to get a job in a lot of classes at Pepperdine and and other and Vanguard. Like there's just a lot of different little universities out here that I've I've gone and done that that talk for, and there are people who are driving hours to commute to some of these in-person, or had been driving hours to commute to these in-person things. So they may have more, there may be more accessibility right now for folks who haven't traditionally been able to go to these in-person programs. And so for these people, the people who are saying, hey, I'm doing it now, I'm getting my therapist education, how do I how do I get most benefit from it? And and I want to just say my, because you're, you're going to have all the answers. So I'm going to say my initial first thought, and then we'll all throw it to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if I were a student right now, I'd want to make sure that I was personally in relationship with my professors and, and being able to get feedback and, and 
acting on those things and making sure that I'm on, on base, I would want to find ways to interact with my peers. And I, I don't know if I would be the one that would be like putting together social happy hour kind of things. But it seems like there's there's a need from the student side to say, to advocate for some of those more personalized experiences with their professors and with their fellow students. So that's the, that's the only idea I have. Now, what do you say as a professor? <laughs> You're absolutely right. And I think part of what I've seen is, well, every class that I've taught online, there has been a group chat function that is not part of the class. You know, it, yeah. it's a WhatsApp group chat. It's a you know, Got it. group text sort of thing. Students are already doing this, whether it's suggested or not. And it might be starting around content. It might be complaining about the teaching methods of a faculty. <laughs> you, you know how these group chats go. Yes. Yes. But absolutely develop the personal relationship with the the faculty. Take advantage of office hours and yeah. being able to get the career advice, even just get the FaceTime because, well, those mm -hmm. group chats are potentially awesome and potentially just a place to vent. There's a part of that synchronous relationship that really does help develop your understanding of the material. It helps develop the opportunities that you have for future jobs and recommendations and all of this kind of stuff. It's also something where when you are finding that those group chats are devolving into complaints, it's being able to organize students together to be able to approach the faculty or the department to bring attention to the change that needs to happen. Because in any sort of institutional inertia, there is yeah. a lot of barriers to seeing how things can change. But right now, I think, is where I'm seeing a lot of faculty potentially being more able to be influenced in their teaching methods because there isn't a tie to, well, this is the way that we've always done it. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to you know, have one person be ignored, but when a class or a cohort can uh, really be able to bring their voices together helps to be able to make some of that nimbleness happen more quickly right now. And, you know, the time that this episode gets published, you know, we're at the end of a semester, but it's something where <laughs> you are empowered to bring that collective voice together because that is something that is really hard to ignore, especially if you're consistent with your message and don't just give it like a one shot. Hey, we asked and nothing happened. And now we're just going to complain for the rest of the program. Yeah. I think that advocacy is a good practice as a therapist, regardless, because advocating for yourself, making sure that you advocate as you start going into practicum and, you know, kind of your, pre-licensed positions, I think regardless of what you're advocating for, for yourself or at, at a certain point when you start advocating for your clients, I think it's good practice. I think the, the one caveat that I want to just add in there is that I, I find it frustrating that oftentimes it's a, it's called a, the students are called upon to advocate for themselves. And, and I think they should. So I'm not saying that they should not. But to me, it seems like 
especially with some of these programs that are just hugely expensive, that there should be a mechanism for feedback and, and, and not just like, what do you think of your professor, but like feedback on the program as a whole, you know, true assessment of the quality and, and effectiveness of, of education. And there's probably a whole other <laughs> conversation we could have about that element of it. And I think some schools probably are great with it and some are not, but I think, yes, students should advocate, but I think also there's an advocacy that happens with our pocketbooks on which schools we actually choose to attend that we pay for that we stay in that we donate to as alums. And I think we need to be thoughtful about that as well, because schools need to be responsible for the quality of their education and for the ability of their students in getting the, the jobs for which they have been trained. We would love for you to collectively advocate to us and join us on our <laughs> social media and we'll include links to all of those in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, and we post our episodes each week there as well. And you can leave feedback for us and we'll be checking that. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.